I think my first question is, so Security National has a brand new program out that's going to help buyers um, or potential folks that didn't think they could buy become buyers. Correct. Can you give some light on that? Of course. So the program is called Security National Home. And it's been created in an environment where it's getting harder and harder for consumers to save. Obviously, costs of goods are high. Mm -hmm. Everything is more expensive. So we have a lot of people that can afford the payment, but it's getting harder and harder to save the down payment. Mm -hmm. And most of your down payment assistance programs at the state level have income limits that can disqualify people that make a good wage. So what we've done is we created a program, uh, Security National Home, and it does not have an income limit. So it's based on FHA financing, and you can get up to a 5% assistance. We will uh, do this loan for someone down all the way down to a 580 credit score, um, and there is no income limit. So that's where it's different than other programs that you've seen on the market, right? So literally anyone that can afford the program but doesn't have the funds can fit in the box so a lot of times when you're looking at state bond housing programs you're looking at okay well how much do they make and what county mm -hmm. are they in and how many people are in the household and what's their debt to income ratio and we just kind of stripped all that away and said look if you have the ability to buy the house right and mm -hmm. you have the ability to you know we have forgivable and repayment options so like if you choose to repay the, the grant, which means, hey, I make enough money to repay the grant. I just mm -hmm. don't have the cash right now. Yeah. Uh, you can actually get 5% when you only need three and a half on down payment, right? So you could get a little bit. So we, the, the program is designed for 100% financing. So we take care of all the acquisition. You take care of the closing cost. But at the 105, you even have a little bit of money left over to pay closing costs too. Okay. So someone that is really strapped, but they're making good money, or it could be someone that just moved into a new promotion, but they haven't been able to save the money yet. Here's a program where I don't have to tell them to wait. We don't have to tell them, well, give me six months right. and, and really buckle down on your savings. Uh, is it going to be for everybody? No. Um, but I think it's a great conversation to have. And I think that there is a group of people that have been left on the sidelines that now have an opportunity to buy. So when you um, when you say 5% assistance, can you kind of tell us what that 5% can cover or cannot cover? So the 5% assistance can cover down payment or closing cost, you choose. I think a lot okay. of people don't know that the two are not the same, mm -hmm. right? So on an FHA loan, you're required to put three and a half percent down. So if you're buying a $200,000 house, that's 7,000. So you're required to put the 7,000 plus closing costs, mm -hmm. right? So if you got 5% of 200,000, that's 10,000, right? So you could pay the seven and then you have 3,000 left over for closing costs. Whatever's not covered in that 3,000 is still your responsibility. But at the maximum amount, um, you could definitely get all of the down payment and part of the closing costs paid for. Okay. Which would make it a lot easier to get into a home than okay. let's say if you didn't qualify for any down payment assistance program and you would need the 7,000 plus the closing costs. That could be 12, 14,000 total. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people have a misconception of what they actually need to purchase a home. You know, a lot of people think I need 20%. 
um, not realizing that we actually could do three and a half, five percent. Um, so on this program, what is like one or two things that really stand out on where this program helps due to misconceptions that are out there? Yeah. So if you've been saving to try to get to 20% in this environment, you may never get there mm-hmm. you may, because of the acceleration of cost, the acceleration of prices. If we don't have, you know, some sort of big housing correction, you might be saving forever. Yeah. So that's why they allow the barrier of entry to be three and a half percent or five percent. And unconventional people don't even know you can do three percent. If you've got a good credit score and you have good income, you can qualify for three percent down on conventional or for FHA, you can do three and a half percent down. So the barrier of entry is low and they're even incentivizing people that are using that to encourage more people to buy. Right. So we want more people, uh, especially younger or doesn't even have to be younger. If you've never owned a home, they're incentivizing you to buy one. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't owned a home and really it's if you haven't owned a home in the last three years, that's what makes you a first time home buyer. That's another misconception. You could have bought a home five years ago and sold it. uh, And if it's been three years since you actively owned a home, you would qualify for all these things. So uh, that's a great question. Three years is the time frame that you cannot have owned a home. Okay. As soon as you can say that you've not had an ownership interest in a home for 36 months, in the eyes of like mortgages, mm-hmm. you're considered a first time home buyer again. Okay. So if you wanted to do 3% down on a first time home buyer program, you can. If you wanted to use, uh, for instance, TDHCA, which is one of the Texas uh, housing bond programs, they have special pricing for first time home buyers. So you would qualify again for those things. And I think some people think, well, I'm not going to try because I owned a home before, so I already used right. my first time home buyer. That's not true. People also think FHA is only for first time home buyers. So they're like, I know it's easier to qualify, but I've owned a home in the past. FHA is for anyone. And I think these are just things that, you know, people that aren't in the business and they don't, you know, you and I do this for a living. So we see lots of transactions, mm-hmm. but the average person is going to buy three to six homes in their whole life. So if it hasn't, if it's been five, six, eight years mm-hmm. since they bought a home, the one thing constant about our industry is change. They only know what happened six, seven years ago when they bought. They have no idea what today's mortgage or real estate, uh, you know, contracts and programs are like. It's constantly mm-hmm. evolving. It's always changing. Most of it is because it's necessary to have change and 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 to be able to keep up with the capacity or even the market or the circumstances. Things are so much more expensive now. House, housing prices are so much higher than they used to be. You have to be creative to solve for problems. So when people say, well, I had a six and a half percent and now I hear rates are six, so there's no way I'm gonna be able to qualify because I missed the 3%. So they, you know, that was a one-off thing. It's not gonna happen. Yep. Um, rates are gonna come back a little bit. I think we'll get in the five soon. Uh, May 10th is going to be a big date, but if, if you're waiting for rates to just correct just a little bit, you got to be ready now, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to apply right now. 
because your pre-qualification, your credit reports are good for four months. Your pre-qualifications are good for two months. Mm -hmm. If you're not applying now, I would say you're behind. Because yeah. when rates go down and more homes hit the market and then you apply, you're going to miss the best possible time to make offers. Because the people yeah. that are already approved, when rates go back down and more houses hit the market, they're going to win. Yeah. They're going to win the most. So it's they're just like ready to go. Of yeah. course, but it's just like anything else. There's no better time to start than today. Mm -hmm. You can't go back and start yesterday. So if you're even considering buying a home this summer, you have to apply immediately. You just have to. It's the only way to put yourself in the driver's seat. If not, you are literally trying to like, have you ever tried to like merge into a lane mm -hmm. with like 900 cars going this way? That's yes. what this housing market's going to feel like mm -hmm. if you're not completely ready to go when rates yeah. go down. Yeah, like driving on I-10. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, one last question on the Security National Home Program. Mm -hmm. What are the... Th I don't know, like maybe three basic requirements that are needed for that. Yeah. So if they have any type of verification of rent, right? They can go to whatever down they can go to whatever debt to income ratio will approve, right? So we don't really worry about that. What we really worry about is three things. We're looking for the people that can't go to another program because of income limits. Lots of other programs will cap them on that. Can't go to another program because of purchase price limits. We'll go to the max FHA. Or can't qualify for another program because most of them start at 620 credit score. Mm -hmm. And we start at a 580 credit score. So we have three different areas that we can capture and create opportunity where right now they don't have another option. Yeah. So that's the whole reason. The whole reason you make a new program, you don't make a new program to be exactly like the other ones. Mm -hmm. You make a new program to create opportunity. Yep. Right? So the opportunity is, hey, here's something that has three categories that no other program has. Right? And if you apply because of those um, and it's still not the best one for you and we can fit you into another one, great. But if we don't induce the application mm -hmm. then they don't know what they can qualify for mm -hmm. because they're they're they might think oh i make eighty thousand, i won't qualify well that's not true mm -hmm. you could still potentially qualify for multiple yeah. programs so the whole the biggest thing especially for uh, a real estate professional like yourself is having something new to get people to move we have to get we have to to entice the action so as long as we can get people to apply, we as the professionals will place them in the best loan for them, or at least give them multiple options, mm -hmm. right? Because someone that thinks this is the only one that I can qualify for, they may qualify for two or three others. Yeah. But they wouldn't even apply if we didn't have the program, mm -hmm. right? So it's like anything Very else. Very true. You start here, and if this is better for you and you qualify, we're putting you here. Yeah. But someone sitting at home thinking, I can't qualify for anything, if you tell them there's no limit, there's no limit, there's no limit, 580, now they now they apply. Yep. And then you find out, well, you qualify for three things. Yep. Because we're so scared as a society to be told no. Right? When you take limits off of things, mm -hmm. people are more uh, curious. You mm -hmm. know, we're very curious as people, but 
no, we've been so conditioned to where we don't want to be told no. Mm -hmm. So if we think we'll be told no, we'd rather just say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm working on yeah. things. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rent another six months because yeah. I'm working on my credit. What does that mean? Yeah. Just sit back and not doing anything because you're just too afraid. Well, to the other thing things. that people don't understand is what <clears throat> you perceive to be working on your credit could be bad. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, no, let your lender guide you because what we as a just credit consumer think, oh, I'm supposed to pay off all of these things um, when really there's some strategic ways to pay not all, everything off at once, but pay certain amount of payments and keep certain debts that are good debts versus bad debts. And that's why I tell everybody, you need to discuss with your lender mm -hmm. before you do anything drastic to your credit. Yeah. And I think sometimes they just don't know that we have tools that can tell us exactly mm -hmm. when you make, you know, this change, this is the direct result. And sometimes it's negative. Yes. Uh, so I'll have conversations with people where they're like, I'm just going to pay off my collections and then I'll come back to you. And I'm like, please don't. Yeah. Like that's probably not the way to get your credit score up. Mm -hmm. Um, you probably have a credit card that you qualified for with a $300 balance that you have maxed out. Mm -hmm. And so for $300, you could be a homeowner instead of settling like six collections. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Uh, but it's a, it's a misconception because no one talks about it. No one teaches it. It's not common practice for people to, you know, really dig into their credit, which is so important. It's like, especially we live in a credit society, mm -hmm. right? We don't pay cash for everything. Right. We just don't. Mm -mm. Um, we don't pay cash for our cars. Uh, we don't pay cash for our vacations. Mm -hmm. We don't pay cash for our homes. All these things require credit. And it's one of those things that you have to work hard to keep it high because they will wreck it if mm -hmm. you start paying late or have collections right yep. they're very quick to lower your score yep. they're very slow to raise it back right so showing people and giving them a path um and letting them know like we as a lender are not the people that are going to tell you no we're the people that are going to tell you how so if you're afraid to be told no we're your people yeah right yeah because we don't tell people no we tell them how we tell them this is what you need to do if you're vigilant and you do it you can be a homeowner. If this is a life goal of yours to own your own home and build wealth through mm -hmm. real estate, do these things. Mm -hmm. um, and usually within two or three months, you figure out just how serious they are. Because they either do it or they're just not going to do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but at least you didn't tell them no. And it's good to have a place for them to go to have a plan. Um, and that's exactly what y'all do. Yeah. I never want to tell them no. Yeah. Ever. Um, made me think of another question as you talked about uh, debt and, you know, paying things off. What is the biggest misconception of medical debt? I think the biggest misconception with medical debt is that it matters when buying a home. It just doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, they've made changes and changes and changes. It just doesn't matter. You know, we first of all, we're the only country where medical debt is a thing. Like, yeah. if you go to Europe and say, I have 14,000 medical collections, mm -hmm. they're like, I don't know what that means. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, we live in a free market capitalistic system, which is fine, but we're the only country that has that. Mm -hmm. Right? 
So what we found over time is that we're not going to let a system that, you know, the billing and everything is so crazy and the insurance companies are so crazy. We're not going to let that affect people. Like if you don't have great insurance and you get in a car wreck, you should get cared for. Mm -hmm. Right. And if that ends up being a medical collection, that shouldn't stop you from buying a home. We've fixed all that. So, um, I think the, the misconception is that it matters at all. It does Good. not matter at all. Good. Now, if you let your car go, that matters, right? Yeah. We got to work on 100%. that. 100%. But if you, you know, need needed health care and you received care and couldn't pay for it and received a collection for it, that's not going to stop you from buying a home. Ever. That's really good to know. So I ask a lot of people this question because most of the people that I interview, real estate is second career, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your first career and how that carried over to this. Um, okay. So I actually had my license, um, 20 years ago, hung it up. Honestly, probably I wasn't with the right brokerage at the time. I'm with a brokerage now that I get a ton of support education. If I have a question, it's there. Um, because it doesn't matter how seasoned an agent is, you're gonna have questions because everything is different. Every transaction is different. Um, but when I kind of hung up my license, I went into just the dimension of being a mom and ended up working within my church and in ministry for years. And I would say working in ministry has driven a passion for me to help others. Um, I love just being able to help folks like I, of course, I want to help you sell your second, third, fourth million dollar home. Um, but I love helping first time home buyers that have absolutely never purchased, that have no clue what's happening. Just walking through that process with them. Um, and I would say just going through what I did for 15 years before getting back into real estate just a hundred percent built everything for me. Um, running events, guiding, um, guiding volunteers on how to get systems in place. Um, various different commitments that you just have within, um, that industry, if you want to call it industry, but everything just gave me a path to be able to navigate home buying for, for others. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, mm -hmm. we have to be organized. Yeah. But you have to care. Genuinely. 100%. Genuinely care. Not just care about closing transactions, but care about the relationships mm -hmm. and the experience. And, you know, we're only as good as our last one. So you can't take shortcuts. I think a lot of people, when they get busy, they take shortcuts. Yeah. And it's the worst thing that you could possibly do. Um, another question. We both have children. 
We both have adult children. And I know that you know they're always watching us. Yes. Always. Whether they, <laughs> whether they admit to it or not, good, bad, and different, mm-hmm. whatever our habits or work ethic is, they're watching, mm-hmm. right? What is one thing that once they're, and they're not all there yet, right? But once they all get to that point where they can come back to you and say, hey, you might have been right about a few things. What is the thing that you want them to get at, at, from you as an example in the work you're doing now? What do you want them to see from you? Wow, that's a big question. Um, integrity. Mm-hmm. I, my integrity matters. I mean, that's like one of the top things that's, that's important to me. Being a mom um, matters. Being a wife matters. Um, my poor husband gets put after my kids <laughs> and my kids are grown. But um, integrity, I want them to know that when you do a job, um, when you do life, whether it's professionally related or personally related, your integrity is who you are. It's your representation of you. Um, What you say should matter. People should know that if you say something, you're gonna do it. They should know that if you say something, it's honest and they can trust you. Um, even if you don't have the answer, knowing that you can find the answer for them. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's really what I want my kids to know. Um, I think that's great because I think integrity is huge. And I think it's not as valued by the generation coming up because I don't think that's what I they agree see. With that. Mm-hmm. So they need examples mm-hmm. of integrity because that's not what's cool. Yeah. Ha- having that's integrity true. and being honest and being a good person. Um, I try with my son, who's 15. We ha- I can communicate with him differently than my daughter, who's mm-hmm. 20. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I try to tell him is, why would you do anything and not try to do it your best? Yeah. Like anything. Yeah. Down to the smallest thing, right? He likes to play basketball. If you're going to make a pass, why wouldn't you want to make the best pass possible? Yeah. Why would you want it to be lazy? It yeah. doesn't put your teammate in a good spot. Right. If you make a bad pass or a terrible pass or you're yeah. not paying attention. Yeah. You know, if you're going to, we only have time. Like time is literally the actual currency of our life, right? It's the real thing that we trade everything for. Yeah, that's very true. So if you're going to spend <laughs> your time Yep. Which is your actual thing that you mm-hmm. have and give and yeah. decide where it goes. Yeah. Doing anything. Why wouldn't you do it the best you can? I 100% agree with that. I am. If I say I'm going to do something like I am all in. Um, I am a bit of a perfectionist in OCD. So every time I misstep or uh, I mean, I am human. I misstep. I make error. And man, it just like it will kill me inside. Um, but I will do everything I can to learn from my mistake and make that better the next go around. Um, because I 100% agree with you. What you do, how you do it matters and do the best that you're going to do for anything. 
Um, when you're working for somebody, when you're working for yourself, regardless, um, expectations should be put in place, even if it's for yourself expectations should be put in place, but those that you work with and work around you, whether they're clients, a boss, um, coworkers, whoever it is, they need to know that you're going to always go above and beyond and exceed expectations. Um, I would say the employer that will let you get away with the most crap is yourself. If you let it. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, convince yourself that that can wait till tomorrow or that's not important mm-hmm. or I don't have to make my calls today mm-hmm. or you know whatever my Wednesday morning schedule is I can skip that today and you know stay in bed mm-hmm. or watch a movie or the weather's crappy so I'm not gonna go yeah you know there's no one making you do it but you mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah people that work for themselves at a high level have the ultimate discipline Mm -hmm. because the two things that are necessary to be, and and I don't believe it's sales skills. I don't believe that it's, you know, having this uh, charisma. I think that I'll take a person with extreme discipline and consistency over a super charismatic salesperson every day. Yeah. Every single day. Because this business is is a systems-oriented business that requires consistency mm-hmm. and discipline. And if you don't have those things, you can do okay, yep. you know, but you can't right. be the best. This conversation actually makes me think of the time I homeschooled. So I, I homeschooled for about five years. And I would have... Um, relatives and friends and whatnot and are y'all really getting up and getting work done and my kids hands down will tell you (laughs) that was probably the most planned out strategic time of our life like they were not in pajamas at the table have already been dressed eaten teeth brushed ready to go at by eight o'clock um stayed on a schedule, stayed disciplined. And if we were taking something off the schedule, we were replacing that later. You know, it, so if we went on a field trip, all right, well, then that means we're going to move around our schedule. And I think it just helps having structure to stay disciplined, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, so many others would say, well, why are you so hard on them for this? I mean, y'all are literally at home. They can be in their pajamas. Y'all could get to work at noon. You get, I'm like, no, because yeah, while they're little elementary school kids, eventually they're going to go back to the public school system, most likely, which they did. Um, and eventually they're going to have a job, right? They're going to work for other people. So if they learn early that, oh, I can just do it whenever I get to it, how are they going to be successful? How are they going to be able to maintain themselves as adults later in life? And I know people say, oh, Alina, you're putting way too much thought into that. I'm like, nah, I mean, I am OCD. I am, you know, it is my brain and I am a control freak. But um, 
I don't know. They they needed to know. You get up, you get stuff done. And the sooner you get stuff done, the more free time you have later to, to do things. One of the things that I always um, attempt to do, again, human and make error, is if I have tasks to do, whether it's cleaning the house, um, it could be doing taxes, it could be um, doing lead generation, whatever the item is, whatever I hate the most. Do it first. Yes. Knock it out and get it done. Because then I also am less anxious the rest of the day uh-huh. because I know I got the hard thing done. Now let's get on with my day. Yeah. And I'm more successful the remainder of the day. Yeah. There's a good book for that for kids. What's it called? Swallow the Frog or whatever. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. good for kids to understand that. But yeah, just get the bad stuff out first so the rest of the day can be better, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm learning to be a better interviewer and just kind of go with where the conversation's going. So I'm going to go off real estate for a moment because I think I can get a unique perspective from you. Okay. So as someone that's homeschooled mm-hmm. and then you integrated them back to public, mm-hmm. was that always like a high school thing? Like when did you, when did they go back or was so, it like a time they all went back? Um, so I actually pulled my daughter out of school in first grade and then we homeschooled for five years. I just felt like, um, our location at the time, the education she needed, mm-hmm. we were going to have to be doing extra school when she got out. So it wasn't in my mind at the time set for at this certain time, at this certain place, they're going back in. It was a matter of when trajectory trajectory changed for us. Um, My son started having just more struggles. And in the process of it, um, we were trying to figure out what is it that's missing? Because my daughter's older, so I had already been a couple years ahead with her. I was like, well, we went through it the first time. There's something, you know, I'm not the right teacher for him or something's happening. Lo and behold, um, we went through some testing and he, um, it was found that he had dyslexia. And it was at that moment that I realized I'm not equipped to teach him well. Sure. Like I need outside resources. So we did some outside resources and then slowly transitioned. They did a year in private school and then a year in public school. Now the whole time they were homeschooled, um, we were still in tons of sports, tons of activities. So it wasn't a matter of homeschooled in a box, so to speak, where they weren't with people. Yeah, I mean, we were extremely active, constantly on the go. Um, It was just a matter of the education transition that we did. Okay, let me ask you a different question. So being someone that has had the classroom at home Mm -hmm. and had the classroom publicly or even in private Mm -hmm. school. Something I saw that I thought was kind of profound was a video where they showed, here's a car a hundred years ago. Here's a car today. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Here is an airplane a hundred years ago. Here's an airplane today. Here's a computer 50 years ago. Here's a computer today. Then it says, here's a classroom a hundred years ago. Here's a classroom today. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that we are behind mm-hmm. in innovation 
when it comes to education because for a world that has the entire knowledge yes. of everything ever recorded in one second, mm -hmm. we still sit in rooms with whiteboards and chalkboards and mm -hmm. Uh, and I know, I know that once they get to junior high, they get a laptop, they get a few other mm -hmm. things, but I just think that in order for us as a society to keep having advancements, we have to be able to teach that way too. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an educator, so I don't knock anyone that is an educator. I just think the system doesn't do a good job of auditing itself and saying, how can we be better? You know yeah. what I mean? I think we look at these standardized tests too hard. I 100% agree with that. And I think that there's just probably improvements that even the educators would get behind. Mm -hmm. I think if you asked all the educators inside of your district, like what could we do different? Like really different. Not like, oh, we're going to go to four day week. Which a lot yeah. of districts are going to that yeah. across Texas, four day school week. Mm -hmm. Not something like that, but like, how can we be more innovative in the classroom to where instead of like kids, you know, DMing each other while mm -hmm. you're going through your lesson plan, they're engaged. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like we've yeah. trained our, our kids have been trained to have, you know, 30 to 60 second attention spans. How do right. you keep their attention? Yeah. Can the lesson be yeah. up there and you're putting a, problem and then they all answer it on their tablet mm -hmm. and then whoever gets it the fastest pops up as the winner yeah or something like using the kahoot Whatever. something like something Can simple as that something mm -hmm. where everybody has to and and maybe they get a grade on their participation mm -hmm. right if someone doesn't write any of the answers yeah. that day they got a zero yeah whatever so they know i got to participate but mm -hmm. there's also incentives to do it well yeah right so I just think that there's, and that's easy technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just We've think, got so much easy access I just access think we have to do it. I mm -hmm. think if we don't do it, we're not creating, like, we're not creating engineers. Mm -hmm. We're not creating doctors. We're not creating these super important, you know, societal positions the way we used to. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't teach the same way yeah right you can't teach the exact same math hasn't changed because of its principles but that doesn't mean you teach it the same way yeah does that make I, sense getting the math that they're learning today i just can't even the the just the structure of it um well, what i mean is like math and science don't change right they have laws they have principles mm -hmm. They're always going to be that way. Um, two plus two is four, mm -hmm. period. When you're doing chemistry, it's all the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, electrons, protons, they bond the same way. You can do experiments. Physics is incredible because you can know exactly how much force for this weighted ball will stop it before it falls off the table. Those, those things are cool, right? But how do we show them how cool it can be right how do we get more innovative to where they're like okay instead of calling it math you know you're applying it to life mm -hmm. you know like i i understand now why i need this i understand yeah. why chemistry is important i understand why physics is important mm -hmm. because in the for what our future requires 
I believe, as a civilization, we're not educating to that level. And it has yeah. nothing to do with the teachers, because I think teachers are underpaid, underappreciated. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, yes. And I think their ideas are not listened to. I completely agree with that. Because we have such a standardization of, you know, the acumen that we give yeah. to students. Well, and teachers are, sometimes things are just kind of thrown at them, unfortunately, and it's just a sink or swim issue. And they you work know? so much. And they, they do. So thinking of, for teachers and them not getting the support and maybe even the training that could be provided to them to help keep up with te technology in the way things are going. And for our kids, our kids, like you were mentioning, are very much trained this day and age, all of us are, that you've got 15, 20 seconds to keep our attention. And if you don't have our attention, we're moving on. So to take a classroom full of kids, an oversized classroom, give them to a teacher and then have that teacher, I mean, one of their main priorities is how can they excel these kids for state testing? Not the actual education that they need behind them. Um, just teaching them to pass an exam is a lot of what kids are taught early on. Um, it literally just how you fill in a bubble answer, how you circle it in and fill it in, how you do this, how you do that, and the teachers Sometimes I feel like this day and age aren't even getting to fully teach these children because they're having to. Um, yeah, they're having to I stay. Within, I mean, they're having to stay within the lane. Yeah. Like there are people, and imagine, I, I mean, again, not an educator, but imagine coming out of school with your degree, excited about getting in the mm -hmm. classroom and then figuring out how much, how big the training wheels are that they leave on you. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you can't really do that, and you can't mm -hmm. really do this, and you know, over time, that's gonna wear you down mm -hmm. to where you know you feel like, well, I can't do this, or I can't make change. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm, I think that we just think about education wrong. I, I'm just saying like, are we teaching someone to and in, in, as a seventh grade science teacher, right? Are we teaching the next, are we truly grooming the next set of engineers that are gonna like do interstellar travel? Mm -hmm. Like, it, do we think about it that way? Or do we think about mm -hmm. star test? At star test. Right. Yeah, one but of these the- kids still have imagination in them. Mm -hmm. And I think that we we're could, stifling we're their strip imagination. It, we're strip it out. Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, even thinking of, and technology's great, right? We're getting this, we're getting social media, we're getting to connect with people that we otherwise wouldn't connect with. So there's a ton of aspect to it, but 100% losing certain imagination. Um, just even Legos being in a classroom, that's, you know, a non-existent for a lot of spaces. Um, teaching kids how to write. They're on computers now. Like, I, aging myself big time. But I took a typewriting class. They don't even have that. Like, you skipped way beyond that because by the time they're three, they already know how to open a tablet, open a, your iPhone, and plug in a number and move on. They don't understand it, 
but they know how to do it. Um, and I think our kids are unfortunately getting a huge miss of certain things. Um, my kids are of the generation that's just above the ones that went a time frame without learning how to write in cursive. So they've got friends that don't write in cursive. When my kids transitioned into public school, that was our biggest issue we had. My kids were told by their teachers they had to stop. They could not write in cursive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like the teacher can't which read it. The teacher can, but the kids could not. So when they would change work, they were constantly getting everything marked wrong. So my kids were bringing home failing papers. I'm like, the answers are right. What is the problem? Well, the kids couldn't read it. They thought it was scribble. And I was like, and my kids, because that was one of the things we fought and cried many tears over. They had beautiful handwriting. But to look at their handwriting now, yeah. it's like, no, that it, it's because they quit writing that way. Yeah. You know, and you think about it, the kids can't, there's a generation there, a gap that went through that, that can't even read the Constitution now. Sure. Yeah. So... Yeah, we the people can yeah. even read it. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you one more thought because I think the education part's important. And I have family that are educators. Mm-hmm. And I, I do feel like they're probably handcuffed, right? Yeah. Um, they want to make change. They want to be mm-hmm. there, but they can't. And so I think the biggest mistake that we can make in educating our kids is focusing less on the imagination and the possibilities and more on checking boxes to mm-hmm. make sure they can accomplish this or they can mm-hmm. accomplish this task. Because if you think about it, go all the way back to the beginning of starting a civilization without acting on our imagination, we never get to today. Mm-hmm. So we're not conditioning ourselves to advance. Yeah as a civilization, mm-hmm. right? Like when we were in the 80s and we would have movies about flying cars, the reason we don't have that yep. is because we don't teach mm-hmm. to go for your imagination. Yeah. We're not, we are not accelerating technology at the level that we are, and the ones that do have it and the ones that do execute on imagination, they make all the money. Mm-hmm. And then people get mad at them. Yeah. But all they're doing is going after an unbridled fire that they have and applying what they learned to their imagination. Mm -hmm. And I just think that like, we're, you know, if, if you want, if you want even just the United States, if you want us to still be the greatest country in the world, then you have to get back to Mm -hmm. indulging the imagination of our youth. Yeah. Because without that, how are we going to, how are we going to grow? Yeah. And let them be kids so they can have imagination. Like I, like we've talked before, I'm a very structured, when I homeschooled it, it was structured, but they were kids. They got to be kids too. They weren't pushed into adulthood so rapid, so quick. Um, with I feel like to, in our society today, kids don't get to embrace their imagination. Um, they don't get free play in the realm of um, 
I mean, even if it's them playing with My Little Ponies or Barbies or Legos or cars and kids just don't play with those things as much um, in this day and age and not grasping building their imagination. Like you're saying, I, I don't know that that makes, if how I'm trying to say that makes sense, but um, I think our kids' imagination is 100% stifled this day and age. It's um, definitely not nurtured. No. And I mm -mm. think that that's where we have to take a second look. It's definitely not nurtured. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if a, if a four-year-old comes in and says, you know, look, Daddy, I'm a dinosaur. You're like, you're not a dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Why can't they be a dinosaur? Yeah. Why can't they? Yeah. Who's What does it hurt you? Yeah. To be like, well, what kind of dinosaur are you? Maybe they maybe they want to be a paleontologist. Yeah. And you're not a dinosaur, so now what are they going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? We totally don't give agree them with that. that. We just don't give them that. Yeah. And we don't give them that in school either. Mm-mm. And I'm not saying you have to indulge their every thing because then it, then you can go off. Oh yeah, absolutely end. not. Yeah. But, but ask, restrictions. But, but like if you know, it, what would it hurt as a physics teacher to be like, what could you use this for, or mm -hmm. what do you use every day mm -hmm. that this applies to? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you interested in doing, maybe later in life that would use this? You mm -hmm. know, and finding out. You know, physics is in everything. Mm-hmm. It's in everything, all motion, all energy, all everything. Um, and that's just one example. There's, I just don't, I, I think we're so focused on checking boxes and mm -hmm. moving them on mm -hmm. so that they can just go check into a job and I check these boxes so I know how to do these things. So and put, me in, put me in front of the computer and I can do the work. And it's checking the boxes at a minimal. Yeah, but what it does is it creates workers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It creates workers. It doesn't create leaders. Right. Yep. Hundred percent. It creates it creates the beginning of trading your time for a check mm -hmm. in a job that you may or may not like. Mm -hmm. And until you wake up and realize that there's an alternative, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to make sacrifices for that alternative yep. now because this is what I've been pushed into. Um some people just succumb to it. Yep. For, for their entire career. Yeah. And they'll work 80% of their life to retire for 15 if they get there. Yeah. And I think that we shouldn't be training people to to just be workers. Mm -mm. I think, no. especially in a time where almost anyone can be an entrepreneur. Why aren't we training more leaders? Yeah. Why are we training workers? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, the star test, thinking of the star test to what you're saying, that literally training them the bare minimal just to pass an exam instead of allowing creativity and more deeper education. Not, not just, okay, this is how you check this box. Now let's move on to the next thing. Well, okay, you check the box, but what can make that box better? Yeah. Like, how can we expand that? How can we grow that and really drive into, I mean, you never know what child you're teaching, um, what they're fully capable of without listening and watching and letting them have, like you're saying, imagination. You just, I mean, you're going to put all these kids in a box 
that, like you're saying, will only be workers, will not expand, um, or they want that instant gratification because that's what society's taught, that they don't know how to work hard to get anywhere at this point. Yeah, because what they do is they settle for, I get a check on Friday. Mm-hmm. And that's as instant as it can be. I mm -hmm. come in, I put in my work, I get a check on Friday. Yep. And I think they just should be told at an early age that they have options. Mm -hmm. And that they don't have to do that. And it comes with a much more difficult ride, but it'll be one that you probably will have more appreciation for. Mm -hmm. You will likely not be depressed. You yep. will likely... Uh, learn incredibly more and help a lot of people along the way and you know I just I hope that I don't know how it happens I don't care if it's slowly but I hope that we start looking at that and taking a deeper conversation about it mm -hmm. because I just think that it's got to change I mean it can't be the same mm -hmm. we're not the same mm-mm no, our society is so different. The education of things. My son's even made the comment um, recently, which I realized he was attempting to make it on the school system, but then I realized that that's actually a, a parent thing too. We get so busy in other aspects. There's not um, certain life skills even. He's like, you know, I should have learned to do taxes in school. Yeah. You know, I should have learned to do this. Now, when I was in school, we had a class called Math of Money. I took that my senior year. Um, those aren't necessarily options. And I think, one, as parents, we're definitely, we need to be the leader to our kids' education. We cannot rely on the system, but yet the system is supposed to help us, right? Like, we've still got to go work so we can keep these kids going and a roof over the head and be good functioning members of society. Mm -hmm. So we lean on the school system and then somewhere we're all missing the mark on growing them in the right directions, mm -hmm. growing them to be leaders, growing them to get education and just typical life experience and stuff. And I think too sometimes, and I, I'm that one of my failures um, in motherhood is I just want it done so fast I will tend to do certain things without stopping to teach them mm -hmm. and say okay this is how this is done you know because I'm like let I need to go 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 and get all this done and um, that becomes you know a restriction on our kids you know how, how can we expect the generation to produce and do anything positive if the system or the parents or whatever isn't teaching them. And if society is just okay with allowing people to be mediocre and not expanding a strive for better, then this is what we get. Well, I don't like it. I think one of the <laughs> easiest, I think one of the easiest ways you can teach your kids simple little lessons is maybe when they're f seven, Every time you give them dessert, just take 20% of it back. Yeah. And just tell them, like, well, the, 
you know, just mom tax or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Just say it and say mm -hmm. it and say it. And then eventually they understand, like, yeah. this is part of life, right? Yeah. And uh, that's one. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, I think one that I didn't do a great job with my daughter, but I'm trying to teach my son more, is like in all circumstances, when there's an exchange of money, there's an expectation. Mm -hmm. Period. Yeah. If I give you $20, it's because I expect you to do X, Y, Z with the $20. Mm -hmm. Or I gave it to you because I expected you to do something. So mm -hmm. anytime there's an exchange of money, there's an expectation. So you can never accept money and not expect the person mm -hmm. to have expectations yeah. of you. Yeah. And it's not control. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to tell you what to do. It's you accepted the money. So now you have to accept mm -hmm. the expectations. If mm -hmm. not, give the money back. Yep. And do it on your own. Yeah. And then you have no expectations. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a tough one for kids. Yeah. Like any time, any time there's an exchange of money, there's an expectation mm -hmm. also. Yeah. Someone's going to expect something from you mm -hmm. in return. And it's, I mean, that's literally what your job is. Mm -hmm. Like if you work a normal job, you're going to show up, they're going to give you money, and they expect you to mm -hmm. do X, Y, Z, whatever mm -hmm. your, whatever your job description is. Yeah. And it, you know, starting with if you're an allowance person or if you're a chore type person, to, no matter how you raise your kids, just explaining to them that expectation, mm -hmm. like I'm giving you this because you mm -hmm. blah 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 blah, mm -hmm. not just hey it's Friday here's your money. Right. Right. Explaining yeah. the expectation, that way they can get used to it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, they've got to have a respect for money and a respect for others, too. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I mean, respect yourself enough that you find value in earning that money. And then learn in the process, hey, if I want that to increase when I have a job, I need to not just do the work, but do the work well. And... um you know, eventually grow that income because you've learned, okay, now I get this paycheck, but I've got this down. I can do better. And then just gradually increase and grow. And I think we've missed that mark with accepting that this first check is just fine. Mm. I'm getting the minimum done, so we're okay. We're not striving for better in that. Yeah. So my son always wants more. Which is good. Yeah. It's a good quality. Right now it's just asking for more. <laughs> um, but I hope to be able to teach him, like, when you have a job, if he ends up working for someone, when you decide that you are needing to be paid more for what you do, mm -hmm. you need to make sure that you are doing it at a better level yep. than everyone else yep. that's doing your job. You're either giving more output or your quality is higher, mm -hmm. or there's less additional work that has to be done because of mm -hmm. you. Yes. Um, because they don't get to pay you less if you're a slob. Right. And they don't get to pay you less if you get that raise mm -hmm. and then regress. Mm -hmm. What they end up doing is firing you. Yep. Right? Yep. So you don't have employers that say, hey, I'm going to pay you every day based on how you did today. I think if we did that, people would work a lot harder. Might be probably, a nice change to the probably, economy. <laughs> probably take take a little bit more pride in their work if you just said, hey, at the end of every day, mm -hmm. I'm going to just 
assess how you did today mm -hmm. and that'll be your pay for today. Yep. You know? Yeah. Um, I think people would work differently. I think to your, to your thing is if you settle for that check, what do you think the quality of your work does 10 years later? Mm -hmm. Not going to be the same. Right. If anything, you will have learned to do it so efficiently that you are not working most mm -hmm. of the time. Yeah. And instead of saying, I can do double the work, I'd like more pay, and then doing more work, mm -hmm. you just uh, you just stay. Yeah. Nope. I agree with that.